0: Rick, how you doing? Doing well, Shane. How about you? You're fi- I'm f- I'm fine. I mean, I'm sitting in this shitty office that we have. I've been moved <laughs> like three times since the new B ninety six Morning Show came in. They just they throw me around like a piece of paper. You look very comfortable, nice. and You're, you um, you
1: get to bring you get to bring your stapler with you at least.
0: I I don't even have a stapler because they don't even give me a printer, so I can't even print oh, any paper man. off to be stapled. That's rough. That's you rough. Look you look very reason. comfortable not having to be in Anaheim.
1: Oh, it's good. I look, I was in, I was in beautiful Detroit on the last road Ooh. trip. So I obviously, uh, I, I picked my, pick my destinations. Yeah, what a
0: trade off. <laughs> uh, we were talking a little bit before, uh, we started recording about the very cool old school white Sox stuff you have in your background there. You said that that used oh, yeah. to be card stock for season ticket holders. And I think that's, that's such a cool throwback and homage that you still like to be around the team as often as possible, even when you're home.
1: Yeah. You know, look, it is, uh, one of the really cool things about working for the White Sox is just the, the depth of the history and the traditions that are associated with it. And you'll see me, you know, it's almost become a little bit of a cliche though, when I'm wearing like those quarter zips, Yeah, like many of them have throwback logos on them. And I've actually heard a lot, chatter about like hey where can i buy that what store is that available in and in reality those are things that we make like i'll we'll make them for like our amateur scouts one year our pro scouts one year pass them out the org meetings or whatever and we're the ones who sort of go and and grab those old logos and that's something that's always been important to me is not to lose sight of the history of a a storied franchise so you know i pick i cherry pick some of the cooler old uh scorecard coverage from back in the day, and then they brought him back as card stock a few years ago and uh, put him up here as a little reminder of uh, I'm just a, a link in a very long chain at this point.
0: It's a very cool vibe. You're you're a Bears meatball, I, I would still assume. <laughs> in my background there, on that whiteboard, Dave Wanstead came in here one day and was drawing up plays on what he used to have Leon Lett do, like drop back from the tackle <laughs> position. And I have videos that Dave asked not to go social, so we won't put them public, but just <laughs> – the the cool he is one of the coolest guys on the face of the planet and we love having him here at the score but to watch Dave Wanstead draw plays up there I would take this as my background over to yours I'm sorry
1: no no I respect that I respect that and a couple things like I mean look at and I've heard Wani on on the score before and he's great and it's kind of amazing when you look at how he's viewed now and like as this great football mind who brings this insight and like a normal, cool, regular dude. I mean, I've heard you guys talk about hanging out and having some adult beverages together, et cetera, versus when he was the coach. And, you know, at that point, you know, he was brought in as sort of like the great hope for the future and sort of this young up and coming guy, And you know, in the end, despite having some success along the way, you know, he had to move around, move around with his career, bounce around a little bit, but, It's very cool that, you know, Bears Meatballs, like yourself and me, sort of got to know the man and the guy behind him, who he really was, now that he's sort of out of that role, but I think that's pretty awesome.
0: I want to get into some White Sox stuff, but this is technically sure. not a White Sox podcast, so I'm not going to start you off that way. I'm going to go to the Dan Patrick School of Interviewing and try to warm you up a little bit first and then throw the Perfect. hammer down just so I know you're as, as comfortable as possible. So, Isn't, I'm just there supposed to be see,
1: bourbon? Isn't there supposed to be bourbon involved? Th- in there is,
0: but see, okay, I, I debated even mentioning that because I wasn't going to ask you at 1130 in the morning to drink. Um, I appreciate that. I, I could. <laughs> There's a couple bottles here, but I also am trying to keep up an appearance a a little bit. Um, If it were a Saturday or Sunday, for sure, the bottle of Buffalo Trace is open by 10-15. But here at work, when Mitch Rosen is right down the hall and I'm already on thin ice all the time, I I (laughs) don't think I should open up a, a bottle of bourbon right now. But yes, this is technically... Bourbon and a buddy. So we'll start off with the the non-baseball stuff. Okay, set the scene. It's a maybe it might not even be an off day. Maybe the White Sox are out of town. You've got Benetti and Stone up on the iPad on your back porch. Your wife and kids are out there. Your dog's out there. What's on the grill? What are you drinking? What are you talking about? What music are you listening to on a perfect oh, Chicago wow. suburb summer night?
1: Wow. 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 Well, first of all, my my boys are. 19 and about to be 17. So they uh, them being home on a, on a beautiful summer night is a rare occasion. Uh, so if that's the case, we're probably pestering my 17-year-old about where he's wanting to go to college next sure. year and my 19-year-old for information about when he's uh, traveling to Charlotte to see his girlfriend, uh, which is part of the reason they're not around much because neither of them want that conversation. But uh, there's there could be some black label, neat, if we're doing it right. Uh, that's your go-to that's, out of all the Johnny Walkers. Yeah, you go
0: black label. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, look, I've, okay. I've I got an unopened bottle of blue sitting over there, but I'm okay. kind of saving that. Sure. I frankly, I had it last year when we clinched the division, but I was in, I was in Cleveland uh, with the team. So I, I passed on opening it when I got back home. Cause it seemed a little anticlimactic after the fact. Uh, and I saved it for the playoffs. Victory, which obviously didn't come, so that blue label is still sitting there on open. So black tends to be where I would go. Okay. Uh, none of us in the house, none of the four of us or five, including Hugo to the dog who you mentioned, uh, mm-hmm. are, are much of a of cooks. Okay. Uh, so most likely there's going to be some element of DoorDash involved. Quite okay. frankly, I mean it, it's sad, and and yeah, yeah I'm yeah, not sure sad. my wife, my, my wife would not be thrilled with me outing uh, our wretched nutritional habits actually she eats great she eats great uh me and the boys eat for shit uh and that that needs to that needs to get better
0: so, yeah but you can do the Doordash and still eat well but I'd, I'd like to see you like we had rick Renteria in here in our in our kitchen uh-huh. studios oh. making ceviche like three yep. years ago oh, was i would awesome. like
1: he was awesome he was awesome oh. with that he'd bring it into the spring training he'd bring it into the vault, the coach's room repeatedly yeah. ricky could cook ricky could cook
0: i would like to see you step out of the box a little bit and one night this week don't order DoorDash, go to the Jewel, yeah. go to Mariana's or something and just, or go to my Twitter and just find some inspiration because I know you see it. So just find no, inspiration I see it. there. I see it.
1: Look, I've got a, I've got a guitar sitting in a case behind me uh, that has been unopened for over a year when it okay. was gifted to me. Cause I said, I wanted to learn how to retake up playing guitar, which I did when I was a kid. Uh, I have a bunch of undone uh, Pimsler. Online Spanish lessons okay. that are sitting there waiting in queue. So once I'm once I'm finally fired for the last time uh, from this gig, yeah, uh, I've got a lunch, bunch of things lined up, and I'll add uh, learn how to cook a little better to that list as well.
0: What is the end game? You think when when it's no longer running the operations of a baseball team? What what's the perfect end of life? I mean, that sounds a little. ominous but what's the perfect final job for you before you completely settle down and escape into the mountains
1: oh well we've joked around here uh about coaching the high school baseball team but that's just me and the dads when we get frustrated uh we've joked about i want to be the assistant baseball coach at university of california santa barbara uh i don't want to be involved in any recruiting uh, but I can do in-game planning and strategy and stuff like that. I'll probably by that age, need someone to hit fungos. Frankly, you know, Robin Ventura and I used to joke about that. He's from that area. My wife went to UCSB. One of my boys is thinking about going there. Um, and Robin and I used to joke about him one day, you know, when it, when we're finally fired for the last time, that uh, he'd be AD out at UCSB and I could be the assistant baseball coach. That would be nice. It sounded pretty good but it sounded pretty good, Especially but in reality, I don't just... know. Look, look, Shane, like part of the problem is like, and I get a lot of grief from my family uh, about this is I really lack hobbies. Like okay. it is not to try to trumpet how hard I work. Cause everybody works hard and whatever they're doing, look at you, you're hustling through different podcasts while producing a show in a major market. Uh, but like, I, Outside of my kids and outside of you know their world and, and what goes on in this house, all I do is my job and and try to find the best ways to improve doing my job. And that's probably not healthy long term, like because it's going to come to an end at some point, and I'm going to need some level of identity outside of work. Uh, but in terms of like those two things, I t- joked about Endgame; those are both baseball related. Like yeah. I need to find something else, like yeah. you know walking the beach and collecting sh- seashells or something like that. It'll bring me some tranquility. You got
0: to take a lesson from Theo, escape from the game for a little while, come back for your final mm-hmm. Cubs little tour with your buddies, start at castaways, get tanked, go to the games, <laughs> to the bleachers. And then I don't know if you saw the picture of him laying in, in the, the basket at Wrigley. Yeah. You got to take yeah, a lesson from him. It. That guy knows no, how to that's, that's
1: outstanding. He's uh he's got a ring or two on me right now. So once, so once we catch up, maybe that'll be the end game for me as well.
0: What did fifth grade Rick Hahn want with his life? Most kids like want to play Major League Baseball, but I know that you preferred to send trade proposals to Dallas Green with the Cubs and get an occasional letter back. Did you always want to be the general manager of a baseball team?
1: I had my wanting to play stage for sure, for sure. And look, my dad's maybe six feet, probably five eleven. My mom's about five three. Uh, I should have known early on that that was not in the cards. And I f- finally figured that out probably at about 14, 13, 14, uh, even though the writing was on the wall from way back. Um, you know, it's funny, like obviously I went to law school. There was a time where I thought about doing real estate or venture capital or something a little more mainstream, obviously corporate law, having gone to law school. Uh, but there was just, some level of comfort and peace every time I came back to something involving baseball. And I don't know if it's because when I was young, like as you referenced, I used to write letters and come up with trade ideas and follow the draft and follow the minor leagues and think about ways of how to craft a winning team. Uh, but anytime I've got sort of pulled towards a real job, it, it just, it was, I lack that, comfort i lacked that peace i felt like i was wasting time i was sitting in uh, we're now married but at the time we were dating and and, in my girlfriend's apartment right before i graduated from harvard law school like literally three weeks before graduation and i was reading an article in baseball america when peter gammons used to write for it about uh this next generation of baseball executives who instead of going to get a master's of business administration has got a master's of baseball administration by working their way taking any job at age 22 and fetching coffee and collating scouting reports and working their way up and it turned out you know he's talking about guys like paul d podesta and josh burns and and, uh various others who wound up being gms and and i turned to my girlfriend at the time i'm like i'm wasting my life like uh, what am i doing here like you know in theory here i'm about to graduate with a for your fairly prestigious degree. And I'm absolutely fricking lost because I'm not finding a job in, in baseball. A couple of years later, when I was in business school, and again, things not going well, looking for a, a real gig, uh, or excuse me, a gig in baseball. Goldman Sachs uh, invited me out to New York to interview for a job as an investment banker and with a focus in real estate based on what I was studying at, at Northwestern. And they offered to fly we were still dating. She was out in California at the time. And they offered to fly Jean out with me. Uh, So she flew out from California. I came out from Chicago. We met at LaGuardia to go, you know, take a car to the hotel before the interview. And all I could talk about was this, you know, article I read in baseball weekly about, you know, again, young executives and their path and, and what, uh, how the game is changing and the future of big data and how that was going to influence decision-making and who've been front office composition. And she said to me, she's like, did you spend any time preparing for this Goldman Sachs interview? And I'm like, <laughs> no, nah, probably, probably going to screw this one up. Um, but there's just always this sort of gravitational pull back to, back to baseball. And I don't know if that was, uh, because it what spoke to me most, uh, a, a level of immaturity, a refusal to sort of grow up or, or what, but uh, despite, you know, as harrowing as some of these seasons can be, uh, baseball is always where I found my peace.
0: How did you meet the chairman? I heard a story that you just sent in a blind resume and you just got a call from him one day and said, Hey, I want to, I want to meet you. Is that, is that true or false? No,
1: no. I wish that were true. I wish right. that were true. Um, here's the thing. Like I resisted foolishly in like, I resisted getting any sort of help whatsoever in my search. Like I I literally started signing. I did send a ton of blind letters. And if I ever got like, you know, to all sorts of teams, and if I ever even got like a three by five note card back, acknowledging receipt of my resume, like I felt, okay, at least they heard me because that was rare. Maybe like a quarter of them responded. If that Ed Lynch, from the Cubs sent me a letter back, told me to go get a job working for a minor league club and work my way up, which was a, was a no, but at least it was some level of, of guidance. Uh, and I started looking for a job in baseball. I don't know. I was probably 21. I was graduating college, 22. Um, and finally at age like 20, like four years in after just getting nothing, uh, I took my dad up on an offer to let one of his buddies who knew jerry put my resume in front of jerry
0: okay and
1: honestly like i I didn't want to do it because i felt like for those like i got to do this on my own i can't do this based on connections and frankly that was really stupid and probably cost me a few years of of at least getting my foot in the door because again not only is everybody doing it but like jerry isn't going to hire me just because his buddy knows my dad like that just got me in the door got me an audience which was unique but the rest and it took another two years or two and a half years after that meeting for the Sox to ultimately hire me but that helped facilitate the process of just getting me in the door
0: white Sox fans are a hmm. what's the best word for white Sox fans they're a resilient bunch they're a yep. loud bunch they're a dedicated mm-hmm. bunch um starts with guys like the, the guys in the 108 who I know you, you <laughs> c- communicate with and like, they, they're a great standard for what a white Sox fan should be a little bit of criticism, but a, a ton of just being a diehard and showing up for your team and us as season ticket holders, as you know, effectively paying the players salaries. That's why mm-hmm. we're there as season mm-hmm. ticket holders, without a doubt, I think I pay you on Moncada directly, but <laughs> do you ever want to just forget about the fact that you're running a business and come out to lot B to a tailgate and just hang, get a little tipsy and really feel like a baseball fan?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, frankly, that's something I've lost and I'm not complaining at all. Uh, I've been very fortunate to have the career I've had in, in professional sports. But, you know, as you referenced earlier, I'm a Bears fan. I'm a Bulls fan. I'm a Hawks fan. Michigan one of the things I've lost is the ability to watch those sports or watch the front office decision-making and be like, have a fan reaction because there's that executive side of me that stops me. And is like, wait, there's, there's, there's more to the situation than I know someone might not be available. There might be something off the field. There might be a makeup problem. Like I've lost sort of that critical eye, that freedom that being a fan brings you to just like, let loose and and emotionally respond to things when you may not have all the information. Um, We used to, you know, the MLB and their infinite wisdom moved the amateur draft to the all-star break. Uh, But prior to that, the all-star break used to be sort of, you know, four days where everyone in the front office kind of shut down and got a little bit of a break. And I sort of foolishly started a tradition when my boys were like, five and three. I think it started with the, the, the all-star game at the old Yankee stadium. I wanted them to see Yankee stadium, the old one. Uh, so we started that tradition that year of going to the all-star game every year. And it was sort of like the only family vacation we got during the summer because of my job. Uh, but one of the reasons I like that, not just because the boys got fired up and all-star games, frankly, you know, made for kids and home run Derby got them all fired up was that I got to sit in that game I got to sit in the stands, have a beer, and just enjoy a ball game. And that—I mean, shoot—the part of the reason I'm in this job is because I grew up a fan. Because I grew up passionate about the game. Because I grew up, you know, emotional with the ups and downs of the course of the season. Uh, in the as an executive, you got to under, understandably temper some of that. And, and fans don't want their front office emotional and, and responsive to every little. Blip, you need to have a longer term plan and hopefully more and better information when you're making your decisions. Uh, but that uh, maybe I've joked too much about when I finally get fired on this already, but like when the time comes that I can go back to having a beer out in lot B and enjoying a ball game in the sun, like that's gonna be something to look forward to, that's gonna be something to enjoy, and something that I've definitely missed.
0: Have you ever? even come close to feeling handcuffed in terms of resources in free agency or at the deadline
1: uh never at the deadline never at the deadline i feel like you know look there's limitations to what we can do simply based upon uh what players we have to give up like there's been stuff we've wanted to do we haven't been able to have the assets to line up or even just the other club doesn't evaluate your guys the same way you do. Like that's just going to happen. That's part of it. More, far, far, far more deals die on the vine than actually come together. Uh, So I've been frustrated at times because perhaps other teams haven't valued our assets the way we have, or for whatever reason, they like someone else better than one of our guys. And that can be, that can be really frustrating Uh, from a free agent standpoint. Look, I, I've been here a long time. I know precisely how we go about making our, our decisions and how, what resources we have and don't have and certain contractual uh, bugaboos that perhaps, you know, don't get approved around here. Uh, But that's part of the business I've chosen, so to speak. Like that's part of the, puzzle of putting together a championship club here. And, and frankly, I, I like that challenge. Like that's part of uh, what's exciting. Sure. Would the, would the job be different with unlimited resources and, and you can paper over mistakes or put, you know, layer upon layer upon layer of, of depth. Uh, yeah. That'd be a, that'd be a different type of gig than the one where I have here and and that's Uh, that has some appeal to to people. And, you know, this is, this is the one that has the most appeal to me.
0: I think White Sox fans look at it and say, well, where is the, where's the nine figure deal? But Mm -hmm. sometimes you don't, like you're talking about other teams evaluating and valuing, valuing your players differently. Maybe sometimes you don't see that certain player available worthy of a nine figure deal over right now when guys are getting 10, 12, 13, 14 year deals.
1: And, and again, that's a bunch of different things there. First of all, uh, not that it matters, because I'm the first one to sort of preach that, you know, let's talk about deals, not effort or not negotiations or not things that could have happened. Uh, we have offered nine figure deals. There's not, I want to make sure that's clear that there isn't like some organizational bias against or rule against nine figure deals. That said, I know we're one of the few handful of teams that have yet to execute a nine-figure deal. Uh, that isn't because of again an organizational philosophy against it; it's because things haven't lined up precisely right to get one of those things done. Uh, you know, we've been aggressive, more aggressive in certain segments than others. For example, you know the Eloy and Luis Robert deals before they stepped foot on a major league field. Uh, That kind of aggressiveness was part of the original rebuild plan. was part of the documentation we gave Jerry and sold him on at the start. And he bought into because he saw the benefit of doing that. Now, the funny thing is, is had we not done that deal with, say, Luis Robert, then he probably would be in line at some point during his White Sox career for that nine-figure deal and would be something, you know, given his ability and given how important he is to this club and how we project him going forward would probably have happened that way. Uh, so again, it's about areas where you can and can't be aggressive and areas where you're able to effectively get deals done. We've been really good at sort of that front end. And then obviously we haven't been able to point to that free agent nine figure deal that we've executed on. We've come close, but that doesn't really count in my opinion.
0: In the past, I've heard you say that when roster decisions, lineup construction, strategy, whatever are being discussed in a room that I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but titles mm-hmm. and seniority are left at the door. There's no, a word you definitely, a phrase you use, there's no iron fist in there. Do mm-hmm. you still feel that way? And do you feel like you're comfortable with your input when it comes to daily lineup strategy, defensive alignment? Are you comfortable with your input
1: there? I'm absolutely comfortable with my input there. Am I getting everything I want every single day, of course, not, you know, that the, the manager and the coaches, the guys that are, you know, it's a cliche, but in the trenches every day with these guys, uh, ultimately need to have final say over the lineup. Now they hear from me, they hear from, they hear from Kenny, they hear from our analytics group. They have also, they hear from our trainers Uh, And ultimately, at the end of the day, Tony has to make the decision about what he feels puts us in the best position to win. Uh, I have zero concern that uh, any of those contributions I just named are are, are not being heard. I know they're all being heard. Uh, But again, at the end of the day, the manager is charged with looking in the eyes of the players understanding what he feel he needs to do to put him in the best position to succeed. And, and that's, that's his job. I mean, he's, he's a personnel man in the end about putting the personnel in the best position to have success.
0: Frustration is at an all time high, right? Whether it be fans, it's a different frustration for fans than it is for you. Like you you <clears throat> say trenches, you're in the trenches every day. It's it's your nut, right? It's not our nut what happens at the end of the season. We could be happy with it. We could be unhappy with it. It's just a little bit different for you. How do you cope as a person removing yourself from baseball? Or I guess it's impossible to completely remove yourself, mm-hmm. but how do you cope with frustration surrounded by expectations not being met on your level or expectations not even being met on the player's level? They know their talent right. and they know they're not a team that's it should be four games under 500 this this point last year i think you were 18 games over 500 something like that how do you cope with the frustration
1: it's not easy and i don't have a great answer for that uh i fundamentally i'd rather have the expectations than not have them but part of what comes with the expectations is when they're not met being frustrated uh look I've, i've made no secret of the fact that like there are times where I behave poorly <laughs> during a game, whether it's swearing or throwing shit or, or you know, uh, the other day I, I woke up and the back of my hand hurt. and I couldn't quite remember why. and then I remember there uh, was a was a decision in the game that led to me punching a file cabinet when I walked by it on my way back to my office the last week. And then that's that's not, you know, a healthy way to deal with the frustration, but it just keep it, less file it, cabinets around. There you go, they, especially in this digital world. Why do we even yeah, have, why have a file cabinets? cabinet? What are you keeping in there? Uh, We'll have to talk to Nancy on that one. She's Roland hired Nancy, so we let her have whatever file cabinet sure. she wants. Um, but that's not a healthy way to deal with it. So, trying to, I do have some benefit in that I get to have those conversations, I get to see behind the curtain, I get to know how hard guys are working, I get to also know who may not be available on a given time, which helps rationalize a decision a little bit more easily. Uh, But it boils over from time to time. And and if it didn't, then I'm in the wrong business. Like if I'm not passionate, if I don't feel the same frustration, whether it's a player, staff member, much less a fan who wants what's best for the club, then I'm in the wrong business. Like I, I should be feeling that we all should be feeling that.
0: I think the White Sox do an incredible job on social media and in-game action of promoting their young talent and promoting the personalities that they have, whether it be Bechdahl and and Ray Garcia, letting players come on our show and show fans and our listeners what kind of personalities they have. And that can only emaciate yourself even more with a team and a player and a personality. I think about the Field of Dreams game and I think Mm -hmm. about the White Sox and the Yankees on a national stage and fans getting to see Tim Anderson walk that off. And I mean, the bobblehead is right here on my desk and I think it's awesome that they made the hands bobble. It's one of the coolest things, <laughs> but then I'm looking at the field of dreams game this year and it's the freaking Cubs and Reds and it's like a complete 180. and maybe MLB thought that they would be more exciting, I guess, but in contrast to what the White Sox do baseball doesn't do a very good job at it. Is there a fix? I, I love Sunday night baseball and and miking up guys for an entire inning. And I, I love the way the game's going with that. But we talk about it on the show often, like it might not be feasible, but mic up one guy all game, and then some kind of signal where the broadcast can say, "Hey, we want to take, we want to take uh, Lance Lynn right now in between innings mm-hmm. pitching today." Something.
1: See, that's and, it, and you're not wrong that that. First of all, I do think things have gotten better. Yeah, I think things have improved, uh, and I certainly agree with you. Whether it's you know Ray and Bob or Scott Reiford, our digital media people, like they do. A great job. Yeah. And also the era that we're living in right now, like that you or any fan can go to Tim Anderson's Instagram and sort of get a feel for who he is as a man and what is important to him or Liam Hendricks, what causes does he care about? You get sort of this greater insight and access to a player's off the field personality, which in turn, in all probability, makes you a bigger fan of them, ingratiates them to you them to you more, like you said. Uh, Did I say a Emaciative you said emaciated, word, and I, I switched it to ingratiate. Yeah, what it. does emaciate I mean? I think what, that's what like you're thinking? losing weight from uh, you're emaciated.
0: Abnormally thin or weak, especially because of illness yeah. or lack of food. Yeah, that's not yes. quite what
1: I think Instagram's about.
0: Yeah. But, you know, maybe can make you Instagram. use it differently.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: ingratiate, uh, ingratiate.
1: But yeah, it ingratiates the player more to the fan. You get to know more about him as a person and you feel that greater connection to the team or to the player, what's important to them. I, I, that, that is you know eons beyond where we were even five, much less 10 years ago. Uh, you, it's funny because you've mentioned miking up players during games. And I do think when I'm sitting here watching Sunday Night Baseball, it's the Phillies and the Mets, like hearing Lindor talk, talk about his positioning, talk about ball. You can hear him talking about ball and play and where he's going with it. Like, that's cool. Uh, in 2020, in the playoffs, we were playing the A's and Loriano was mic'd up in the playoffs in center field. And somebody, I don't recall who hit a ball to deep center that he sort of took a half step in on and then reacted late and the ball landed over his head. Scott Reifert, our head of communications was sitting with me in the suite that day. And I turned to him and I said, we are never mic'd up a player during a game. Okay. Uh, Simply because and I'm wrong, we've mic'd up players during the game since then. But my yeah. visceral reaction from the executive standpoint, from trying to win a ball game standpoint, is that Loriano maybe messed up that ball because he was busy doing a talk back to the to the booth while he's trying to be focused on what's going in front of him. The last thing I ever want is us to lose a ball game because of some potential distraction that happened during the game. That said, please, please understand. I say that with my GM of the White Sox hat on and the good news for fans and consumers of the game is I don't have final say over that. And I, and and there are far more people who I think think like you that say, wow, that's a cool and and think like I do when I'm watching the Mets and the Phillies do it. Boy, that's a really cool element. And we need to do more of that. So I think it's going to expand. I just personally, like, Gives me the heebie-jeebies. Last thing I want you to do is talk to Lance Lynn while he's pitching, right? Like, yeah, not on the of FCC I'm, element, but like
0: in, in the dugout on a start day. Right. Like I know different players feel differently about how they want to communicate on a start day when they're playing. I'm sure there are some right. guys, but I know what you mean. I, I know what you, I, I could see how that would make you a little bit nervous. When yeah, we it just, it kind it of just, along the, those same lines, when we get somebody like Tim Anderson to say on the show, "Fuck it, we're the best <laughs> team in the league." Mm-hmm. Does that make waves through an organization? Do are people upset by that, or does it just kind of depend on the person?
1: I mean, uh, for that specific instance, no. I think we all sort of uh, all those who know Tim were not surprised in the least that he said that. Uh, I think at that point we hadn't really proved anything yet. I mean, obviously we're coming off the 2020 playoff appearance, but you know that was a one and done, and we certainly looked good on paper entering 21, but we hadn't won anything yet, so. I think the only possible bristling at that was, all right, we can say it, but now we got to back it up. Like, let's go. Like, we, we, you've heard the cliche over the years. Like it's always easier to be in the hunter than the hunted. And, you know, statements like that sort of thrust you into the role of the hunted, uh, which is fine. And obviously that team in 21 responded to it and over the course of the regular season, and it was a non-issue, but in terms of guys going out there and expressing themselves freely, whether it's Tim or Liam or, or Joe Kelly, who I know had said some things on your show, like yeah, get, Rick,
0: that's fine, that's didn't who they are. Say some things. Joe <laughs> Kelly ran through our dump button, through our delay. I'm so surprised we didn't get a call from the FCC. That guy was yeah. dropping shit, the F word nine times. He swore on our show. It's great for digital content, but my head's on the line. Chris Tannehill's right. head is on the line
1: right well you guys will find work somewhere uh (laughs) look but that's also joe like that that's what you're getting and then again going back to sort of fan scene behind the curtain and and creating sort of a deeper bond with their club like that's who joe kelly is you know he he was funny uh we were we took him off the il without a rehab sign recently i think it was in detroit he came off the il in part because you know a lot of guys are getting hurt in part because he's a veteran and he was everything mechanically and statistically metrically was measuring up fine so we just activated him. now he was pushing for like from day two of on the il saying i'm not going to need a rehab so i don't need a rehab assignment and frankly i generally prefer a rehab assignment personally just let's test it out somewhere before we you know put it on the line uh anyway things lined up where joe convinced everyone that He doesn't need a rehab assignment. We activated him, pitched well in Detroit. I think it was like a nine pitch inning or something like that. And uh, after the game in the clubhouse, I said to him, I'm like, you know, Joe, more people need to listen to you, huh? And like half the relievers standing next to him, like, do not say that, please. You just ruined the next three weeks of us in the bullpen. Don't say that. Don't encourage them, but that's Joe. And that's Joe's personality. And he's, he's, uh, I'm glad some of that came through, even if it does cost did, you
0: and 10 your jobs uh, we'll be okay uh, <laughs> did you see how that injury started it wasn't on the field
1: which uh, which one we thought with,
0: with, joe, with joe's hamstring did you see how that started uh i don't think i saw it not on the field tell me no no, no. so when we were when he was in studio for that hour Spiegs mm-hmm. had brought a baseball mm-hmm. into the studio he wanted joe to show on our twitch stream you know some of his pitch grips Spiegs rolls the baseball across the desk to him it falls down on the ground. Joe leans to his left side to get that ball from the ground. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be the same leg that he hurt in that game. So if you want to blame Matt Spiegel for Joe Kelly's leg injury, it's fine.
1: That, okay. Fair enough. You know, typical Cub fan behavior, yep. but um, you know, that's part of the reason we shouldn't have guys go on that show, but I guess yep. we'll just continue to bear show. that <laughs> risk.
0: It's, it's fine. It's some <laughs> talented guys. I know you're locked in every day from two to six.
1: Um, Absolutely, I got nothing else to do. Yeah,
0: definitely. I know that you have regrets in your position. I'm not going to make you talk about Fernando Tatis again. And I've heard you talk about having to watch your sons play with his game on the show when he made the cover. Yep. I know that's a mistake. I'm not going to lament you for that. What's your favorite acquisition or favorite at any point in your White Sox career, the fa- your favorite thing that you've been involved
1: in in terms oh, of acquiring a player. Look, I, I, the one that comes to mind immediately, and I may an hour from now have a different answer. Something light goes on. Uh, I really like the, the Eloy and Cease trade. And, and not simply because those are two really talented players that we're thrilled to have. Uh, I like that because it was emblematic of doing something that nobody expected this organization to do. And that is a crosstown deal, a major acquisition between these two teams, uh, an acknowledgement that we're both in different positions. Obviously that, that, the 2017 Cubs team was going for it and that made sense for them to acquire Jose. And we were a team in a rebuild and we were willing to openly and honestly, uh, frankly help each other in what we were trying to accomplish at that stage. And, not only was, you know, all the great ancillary stories about, you know, uh, wet butt 23 and others, yeah. you know, he springing gave it that, that, that yeah. came, but his Booty Hole coming from that, uh, that made it enjoyable. But, you know, all my conversations with Theo throughout that were just open and candid about, look, these have, this hasn't happened in a really long time between our two clubs, so let's try to, you know, come up with a baseball deal. And then if for whatever reason some bullshit gets in the ways and 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 sidetracks it in the end and we can't do it, no, no need to apologize to each other. Like we're gonna try to do a baseball deal. And if it gets sidetracked, it gets sidetracked, but let's give it our best effort and and we're able to pull it together. And and you know that uh, I think that spoke volumes about each of our organizations being able to do that.
0: Just a couple more for you can go get your hair cut. We had David Robertson on a few <laughs> weeks back. And he was on that team when Chris sale cut up the Mm -hmm. jerseys, by the way, those jerseys are, I, you have a little bit of a say here. They're absolutely horrible. I never want to see Lance Lynn wearing that Jersey (laughs) pitching. That looks like the most uncomfortable thing in the world. Never bring those back. (laughs) But David Robertson told us he knew something special was happening that night when Chris sale came in and started cutting things up. He took his Jersey stuffed it in a corner in his locker And then by the end of the season, brought it back out and had Sale sign it for him. And it's still framed Mm -hmm. in his home to this day. What Mm -hmm. do you remember about that night?
1: I was at my older son's uh, Little League game. And one of the coaches hadn't shown up that afternoon or was busy. So they asked me if I'd coach first base. So I'm enjoying the sunshine. Fairly sure it was a Saturday. Uh, We had a night game. And in the middle of coaching first base, I get a text from Robin saying, uh, we have a problem. Uh, Sale doesn't want to wear his Jersey. And I texted back. I'm like, I didn't even know it was a special Jersey day. I'm like, what? I don't understand. He goes, he doesn't like the special jerseys. He doesn't want to wear it. I said, all right, talk him through while we're doing it and you know, figure it out. And then he responded with no, he cut up the Jersey. <laughs> and, and I responded, and again I text him back. I said, Well, get him another jersey then. They got backups, get him another jersey. And then Robin sent <laughs> me another text. No, you don't understand. He cut up all the jerseys. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to recuse myself from my important first base coaching duties. Yeah. And I called called Robin and got the full story and, and uh, told uh, told him to let Sailor know that I'd be I run home and shower. And then I went out to see and he should be meet me in my office to talk this through. So, uh, and, and look, by the time I got there and Chris and I sat down to talk it through, like he was apologetic, he was remorseful. He knew it wasn't right, but that the individual who went through and cut those things up, that sort of passionate competitor and that like, I'm going to show you guys that was all what made Chris great. I mean, there's been other instances over his career. Like when he and Kenny talked publicly about when, Kenny wanted to talk about moving him to the bullpen instead of letting him be a starter and his reaction to that, like that sort of visceral, emotional, I'm going to beat you sort of response is what made Chris great. So, and he and I talked about it that afternoon when I told him he was going to have to be suspended for this, but like we knew where it was coming from and it was part of what made him uh, as special as he was and, and still is.
0: I say on the show all the time that this is still a division winner team. It might be by fewer wins than Vegas thought to start the season. Maybe it was, maybe it's 88, 89 and not 93, 94. Did last night's offensive explosion against the angels, the little bit of regression to the mean make you feel pretty good?
1: It was good to see. It was good to see because uh, look, we haven't, we haven't put the ball out of the park much this year, as much as we had hoped. And obviously being without a Lloyd, uh, and Moncada and Grandal for stretches influences that, uh, but the team out there last night resembled what we thought we were putting together. So that, that was certainly a positive. I like the fact that, you know, things haven't been going well for the last you know, six days or so, six, seven days. And when you fall behind three to nothing, it's easy for a team to go through, Oh no, here we go again. And almost like try to hit a five run home run every time up uh, to press and make up for the deficit. And instead, we saw the team sort of stay within itself, and and production one through nine. So that 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 was good to see. Uh, look, we've had a couple of inflection points this year. You know, going to uh, New York and taking both sides of that doubleheader after the nonsense with uh, you know Joshua. their third baseman. Uh, when we rallied uh, for a bunch of runs against these Angels late uh, on a Sunday afternoon to almost avert a. a to avert a loss that showed an offensive explosion late. You know, those have been a few instances where you're like, all right, now we're figuring this out. Now we're going to be more who we've expected to be. Uh, So not saying last night is necessarily that inflection point because we've been sort of seeing spurts of it throughout, but it's good to see the team perform at the level that, again, we all sort of expected to be capable of doing.
0: Rick, thank you for the time. Hope you have a healthy, active June and July. And I hope you can open up that bottle of Blue Label pretty soon.
1: Sounds good. I appreciate it, Shane. You'd be well. Thank you. You too.